Well, this morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 37:23, and I want us to consider how God wants to direct our steps. The steps of the godly are directed by the Lord. Psalm 37:23 says, "The Lord directs the steps of the godly; He delights in every detail of their lives." I'm so thankful for the direction of the Lord. I'm thankful that when God saves us, he doesn't take a hands-off approach where he watches us blindly make one bad decision after another. God is not distant. God is not aloof. He's hands-on when it comes to the most significant decisions of our lives, as well as the ones that are seemingly insignificant. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. My mom is the very first one who spoke this verse over me when I was facing a decision in high school, and it just has stuck with me. It's never left, and I want to speak this verse over all of you this morning. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. If you're at a decision point this morning, this is great news for you. You don't have to figure that decision out on your own. You don't have to flip a coin. You don't have to stress the Lord will direct your steps. So let's take a moment to look at how that works. What would it look like to have our steps directed by God? And to answer that, we're going to look at a family conflict that is brewing in Genesis chapter 13. Abraham and his nephew Lot have been so blessed by God, their herds have grown so big, they're sharing this land, and now they come to a point where the land cannot support how blessed they have been. And so conflict is breaking out between these two family groups, especially amongst the workers and the herdsmen. And so Lot's uncle comes to him and says, I want you to look north, south, east, west, look in any direction, whatever land looks the best, I want you to take that land and I will take what's left over. And this is an incredible offer. And what made this offer so strange is at the time, this was a patriarchal culture. It was a culture of high honor. And so the father would always get the biggest and the best. And so it's like at our home, if we're cutting up a pie, I get the biggest piece. That's just right. That's just moral. But if grandpa is over, then grandpa, he gets the biggest piece. And if there's a great grandpa, well, then he gets an even bigger piece. So his uncle comes and says, listen, in this case, there's not enough land for all of us. You take what is ever best, and I'll take what's left. This story has a crossroads, generosity and greed. And so we're going to read this story and pull out some principles of how we can make godly decisions today. Genesis 13.1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. 
and quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. And now Abram is going to make this absolutely shocking offer. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let us part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. In other words, you take what is best for you, and I'll take what's left. Verse 10. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. And there's this parenthesis, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. And I want you to notice that phrase. It says he pitched his tents near Sodom. He didn't go into Sodom and Gomorrah. He just moved near them. And this is an important detail because Lot knew something, and it's something we know today, verse 13, that the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. And already here we see Lot and Abraham at a crossroads. They're both godly men, but yet they'll begin to step out in two very different directions. The problem with what Lot does here is not that he took his offer up on his generous offer. There's nothing wrong when someone wants to bless you. There's nothing wrong when someone wants to pick up the tab. The issue is that Lot decided, I will pursue this place of great wickedness because he downplayed the sin all the while playing up the economic opportunities that came with the move. We'll come back to that also. Verse 14, the Lord said to Abraham after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and the south, the east and the west. All the land you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. And this is interesting because Lot has just moved to the east. And what does the Lord say to Abraham after he takes this great step of generosity? He says, I want you to look north, south, east, west. Everywhere you look, I'm going to give to you, including the very thing you thought you gave away. God says, I'm going to give it all to you. Verse 16, I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. Now we'll just go through the rest of the story in chapter 14. We read that several kings all come together and they wage a military campaign against Sodom and Gomorrah, and they win. And so they begin to carry exiles out of these cities, and Genesis 14:12 says they also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Remember we said in chapter 13 he was living near Sodom, but now he's living in Sodom. And a little sidebar here is that Abraham comes to the rescue. He defeats these kings that invaded Sodom and Gomorrah, 
and Lot, he gets his stuff back. Now, jumping forward to chapter 19, and this is about 13 to 15 years later, and we find out what is happening with Lot. There are two angels that arrive at Sodom and Gomorrah because these cities will now be destroyed because of their sin. Verse 1. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they replied, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called out to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. So we're just going to pause the story, but say, wow, this is bad. This is bad any way that you look at this. How would you ever want your family to be in a situation like this? How does a righteous man lead his family into this? And can you relate? And has there ever been a point in your life where you just ask, how did we end up here? And yet, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. The Lord wants to direct your steps. And so here's the big takeaway, I believe, from this story, is that God will direct your steps. And here's how he'll do it. He's always going to point you towards the direction of generosity and away from the direction of greed. If you are going to become that godly man, that godly woman, where God can direct your steps, he's always going to direct you towards generosity and away from greed. Now, whenever we talk about generosity and greed, our minds immediately go to our pocketbooks. It comes to the stuff that we own, and that is a part of it, but it is so much bigger. Generosity involves our hearts, our time, our talents. It's our preferences. It's power. It's our rights. It's, it's everything we have control over, everything we find value in or purpose in. It's our whole attitude of what do we do with everything that God has blessed us with in every realm of our life. And so when Abraham, when he had big decisions to make, his compass was generosity. And what does generosity do? Generosity puts the needs and interests of others first, and that's exactly what Abram did. He looked around and said, you know what? You take whatever you need because I'm going to put your interests ahead of my own. And in doing this, right at the very beginning of the Bible, this gets repeated all throughout the Old Testament. This is a foreshadowing of what the Messiah one day would do for us. And it's exactly what Jesus did do for us, that he put our needs and our interests ahead of his own. And even when we were his enemies, he came to this earth to live and to die in our place so salvation would be offered to us. He's also right here at the beginning of the book of Genesis foreshadowing what you and I 
should do as followers of Christ, what a spirit-filled life would look like. Philippians 2.3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And so this is what Abram's doing, that his compass, his true north is generosity. And he's foreshadowing what you and I would do as spirit-filled believers, but more importantly, he's foreshadowing what Jesus would do for us. Now let's contrast that with what we find with Lot. He has a different compass, and his compass is greed. Greed is the exact opposite of generosity. It's putting my needs and my interests first. And again, this can include money, but it's so much bigger. It's my attitude towards my power, my preference, my rights, my possessions. And by the way, greed always has two sides of the same coin. On the one hand, it's pursuing more and more and more and more. But on the other hand, it is stinginess. Greed is holding on to my money, my power, my preferences. Lot's problem was not that he had a lot of possessions and that he had a lot of money because Abraham had a lot of money and possessions. And in fact, Abraham was far richer than Lot. The problem came when it was Lot's endless pursuit of money, power, and prestige. In other words, when it came time for a decision, Abraham stepped back and said, What is going to benefit my nephew? What will benefit others? When it came to making a decision in Lot's life, the issue is not accepting the generous offer of his uncle. Hey, you pick first. His course gets off when he chooses to pursue a sinful place at a great spiritual risk to his own soul, at spiritual risk to his family, because he saw an opportunity. And truth be told, many of us, we've made this mistake. I know I have done it. And can we just take a pause and we say, yeah, this is hard. This is challenging, really challenging. But I decide to take a spiritual risk, that I decide to take relational risk because I'm pursuing an opportunity and we're going to end up with two very different destinations. Using different compasses will lead to different places. If I use the compass of generosity in my decision-making, it leads me to a place called blessed, that I'm blessed by God, that God gives back. And remember, we saw this after Lot chooses the east. God then says to Abraham, I want you to look north, south, east, and west. Everything you see, I'm going to give you. God gave Abram everything he gave up and more. And we find the same principle in Philippians 2, verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Jesus humbled himself. Jesus was the servant. Jesus died in our place on the cross. And what happens as a result? Verse 9, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, Let at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
when you put others first, the world may look at that and say, that is losing. But when you serve others, God serves you. When you give, God gives to you. When you lower yourself, God lifts you up. And let's be honest, life is short here. And sometimes the payoff doesn't come in the short term. I'll never forget a conversation I had with a couple who said, look, we have been generous. We have given to this and this and this. I mean, we give to all of these things. And yet here we are, we are 60 years old. Everyone say that's old. Wow. We are 60 and we're still not retired. And we just feel like God has let us down. Now, while they were saying this, I'm thinking, show me the verse that says, thou shalt retire when you're 60 <laughs> with pension. Oh, yeah, that verse is found in the book of Second Opinions. <laughs> so after that conversation, about six months, they did both retire. And now they live in the place where they've always dreamed of living. And so I just want to encourage you, give God some time to work. Don't treat God like an ATM. I don't know exactly how the steps of the righteous will play out in your life, but I do know this. Heaven is guaranteed to be incredible, absolutely incredible. So God directs our steps, and he directs us, pointing us in the way of generosity, and it leads to a destination of blessing. But what about the destination of greed? What, what happens when I choose to put my needs, my interests, and that is the compass by which I make the decisions in day-to-day -day life? Well, greed will always lead to a place of emptiness. It's when you get everything that you've ever wanted only to find out it's nothing that you've wanted. I wonder how many of us have been there where we've just said, you know what, I have to have this. This is where life will be found. This is the very best thing that could ever happen to me. And then we actually get it and figure out this is really about the worst thing that could have happened to me. And that's what happens with Lot. And here's the ironic thing with Lot. When he chooses the path of greed, he is a righteous man. When he moves there, he is a righteous man. You see, Greed and putting ourselves first is just so hardwired into us, it's what we're going to do. Greed is not what terrible people do. Greed is not what bad people do. Greed is something people just like you and me do by our sin nature. And so when he looks around and he says, you know what, I know there's some dangers over there. I know Sodom and Gomorrah are sinful places, but my, it is so well watered and the grass is so green. It is like the Garden of Eden. It is around the Nile in Egypt. I think I can handle the risk. I'm going there. And when he did that, he was a righteous man. Well, how do we know that? Second Peter 2.6. If he, referring to God, condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, 
For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. And so clearly, Lot is a righteous man before he moves to Sodom. While he is near Sodom, he's a righteous man in Sodom and after Sodom. And yet day by day, he's seen up close the sin lived out. And here's what's happening spiritually. Slowly, slowly he's becoming calloused. Slowly it bothers him less and less and less. It's the new normal. And remember the progression we see in his choices. He's first near Sodom and then he's in Sodom. And when the angels come to judge the city, now he's at the city gate. This is where all the leaders, the people of influence would be. And so he wants more and more and more of the power, the prestige of Sodom. And there's a desensitizing to sin that takes place in his life. And that is why the path of generosity is so important for you and me, because our hard wiring is towards greed, to watch out for ourselves instead of letting God watch out for us. And once we start down that path, it will take everything we have spiritually, it will take what we have materially, it will take what we have relationally, it leads to a place of emptiness. It's a wasteland. As Lot's story continues, we find out not only did his sensitivity to sin slowly disappear, but then he makes a decision that is really unthinkable. Remember, Lot's home is surrounded by all the men of the city, both young and old, and they literally want to rape the two angels that have come as men. So here's what Lot does next. Verse 6, Lot went outside to meet them, and shut the door to his home behind them and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you like with them. I just want that to sink in for a moment. How does a righteous man come to that point? How can a righteous man come to the decision that says, you know what, instead you just take my daughters and do whatever you want with them. How does that happen? And it happens using a wrong compass, taking you to a wrong destination. And because of this decision, he begins to lose all credibility with his family. The angels show up and say, we're going to destroy the place. And so Lot warns his sons-in-law, his sons-in-law says, no, Lot, you're joking. We don't believe you. And so they stay behind. Verse 15, with the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hand of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives and don't look back and don't stop anywhere on the plain. Flee to the mountains as you will be swept away. Jumping down to verse 26. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And so now Lot is at the place where he has lost his wife. And as you read through the rest of chapter 19, we see that Lot 
will pretty much lose everything. He ends up living in a cave. One day, his daughters, they're looking around. They say, there's no available men, and so we're going to get dad drunk. They sleep with him. They have offspring, and those descendants become the Moabites and the Ammonites, two enemies of Israel and Satan-worshipping groups. How does a righteous man end up here? By using a wrong compass that leads to the wrong place, and it always ends up this place of emptiness. When my steps are guided by greed, when my highest consideration is protecting and holding on to what I have, it leads to a destination. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Regarding the stingy, Solomon says, Proverbs 28.22, the stingy are eager to get rich and are unaware that poverty awaits them. The stingy are completely unaware that as I relentlessly pursue more and more and more, that that actually takes me in the direction of poverty. Further, the Bible describes greed's spiritual consequences, and it describes it like a deadly poison. Ephesians 5.5, but you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. And I want you to catch this because our culture says, well, look, greed is not great. It's not a good thing. But look, we're all greedy. We kind of all look out for ourselves. But this verse, it talks about sexual immorality, absolute impurity, and greed. And it lumps it all together as one. That these three are equally as evil and they're all equally risking of your eternal situation. So a lot of people would say, well, I'm just looking out for our family because if I don't, no one else will. At least I'm not immoral. At least I'm not filled with impurity. And the Lord would say, no, no, no. These three things, they all fit together. They're all the same poison. They all lead to bad decisions. And then here's what also happens with greed. My relationships begin to fall apart. Proverbs 28, 25 says, greed causes fighting. Trusting the Lord leads to prosperity. Proverbs 15, 27, greed brings grief to the whole family, but those who hate bribes will live. So relationships, my spiritual walk with God, my material possessions, my esteem, my happiness, all of that begins to flee when I am looking out for number one, when I'm allowing greed to be the compass of my decisions. Psalm 37, 23, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. There's really good news this morning. It's God wants to direct your steps. How will he do that? He will move you towards generosity and away from greed. Generosity looks like Abraham. You pick. You first. I'm going to put your interests and needs ahead of mine. Greed looks like I will pursue my advancement and my needs first. I will pursue economic gain 
career gains regardless of the spiritual risk or the relational risk. Generosity and greed cannot coexist in our lives, and so we need to start to starve greed and feed generosity. We have to do that if we're going to be godly and allow our steps to be guided of the Lord. And so how do we do that? How do we starve greed and feed generosity? How can I be more like Abraham and less like Lot? Two things. It starts with the first priorities. Matthew 6, Jesus said, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. I do not seek my needs first. I seek the kingdom first. I seek righteousness first. I don't seek career advancement or economic advancement first. And yet, how many times do we make the decisions in our lives based purely on economic reasons? And people move about. They move from job to job. And and people move into Milwaukee and out of Milwaukee, and we see this. And, And sometimes people move to areas that are more godly than Milwaukee. And sometimes they move away to places that are less godly. But in all times, the driver wasn't God. The driver is financial. How can I move ahead in my career? What will allow me to have a bigger home? And all those questions are being asked, but what's not being asked is, where has God called me to be a part of the body of Christ? How will this move affect my kids spiritually? How will this move affect my husband or wife spiritually? And digging into Lot's story, the main issue is not that he lived in Sodom. It was that he pursued the power and the prestige of Sodom above all else. There's other cities in the Bible that were equally as evil or sinful. Corinth was a very decadent city, and yet when Paul writes to the church there, he never tells the believers to leave. He says, I want you to be salt and be light in a dark place. One last guidance, Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. If I had the priority of seeking the kingdom of God first, not seeking an earthly kingdom. And if I have the right priority of loving others the same way I love myself, then guess what? I am starting down that path of generosity. Psalm 37, 23, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. God wants to direct your steps. There is no detail in your life that is insignificant to him. I believe many times we as believers, we take the responsibility of making decisions that are really not our decisions to make at all. Let me remind you, we call Jesus our Lord. He's our king. He's our general. He tells us what to do. 
There are some decisions that you can pick. You can choose whether you go to the beach or a park today, what type of coffee you order. But the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He, some of you are facing decisions today. You're deciding what home you're going to live in. God has a will for that. That is not random. Some of you are deciding a career move. Do I apply for this advancement in my current company? God has a will. Some of you are contemplating going to another company or maybe starting your own business. God has a plan. Some of you are trying to discern, where will I go to school this fall? What will be my path? God has a will for that. Some of you have some conflict in your family. You have conflict in your marriage. God has a will for that. He has a plan. Some of you are wondering, do I enter into this dating relationship or not? God has a plan. He wants to direct your steps. And letting our steps be guided by the Lord oftentimes is a, is a point of surrender at an altar like this where we say, you know what, Lord? I will humble myself and I'm going to allow you to direct my steps. I'm not going to take on the privilege of making this decision all by myself. I am your follower. I'm your son and your daughter. Lord, speak to me. And so please stand with me. And I'm going to invite, if you have some big decision in your life, there's been a decision where you've wondered, which way am I going to go? And you would say, you know what? I want God to speak into that. I want God to direct that. Please meet me here at this altar and we believe that God will give you that direction this morning.